<laughs> so here you go. I'm gonna ready for this. That's the sound of a bottle popping. And are you able to hear that pour? Yeah. Good. Ah. Welsh gold, my friend. Welsh gold. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today and always. How do I say that? All, all it's missing is today, always, and forever. Ooh. It's, it's only missing a forever. So I'm joined today and as always and forever with my good friend, my business partner, Jason Johnston of, of, the, uh, of the Air Johnston Yellens. It is. It is the Ayrshire. The Ayrshire Johnstons. <laughs> and the Israeli Yellens. And the Israeli Yellens, that's right. It's a perfect marriage. Welcome to the podcast today, Jason. Thank you. Welcome to our listeners as well. It's uh, yeah. always good to be back with them. Um, nice feedback surrounding the last episode with Bruce Russell. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was, you know, it was really, I mean, there's a lot of great things. I, I, I always enjoy feedback, but um, and we've mentioned, actually we mentioned him in the last episode, but we've mentioned this gentleman a few times prior, was uh, David Jennings of Rarebird 101 liked the the episode so much, he, he ran a little contest asking people to like us on Instagram, listen to the podcast, and then comment on his Instagram post with hashtag Whiskey Jubilee, and he was giving away a little sample of whiskey, which Terrific. was very cool. Terrific. Yeah, giving back to the wild turkey community is, is hugely important. They're a good bunch of fans and a good bunch of people. So yeah, uh, I loved seeing David running that. So cheers to David. Yeah, cheers. Speaking of cheersing. Yes, sir. I think people may have heard me pop the bottle and pour a little whiskey into my glass if I recorded that properly. <laughs> I think we see the problem. <laughs> but uh, I've got a little Pindaren in my glass. I spent uh, about two and a half, three days with our two guests on, on today's podcast, Rob Weller and John... I was looking forward to this part. Travolta, John Travolta, <laughs> John Tregena. Oh, gosh, it's so funny. I, I've got such a mental block. There it is. John Tregena. There. Did I pass? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've been asking that question your entire life, Joshua. <laughs> but it was lovely to, uh, to spend time, well, lovely to, Spend time with Rob. This is my first time meeting him. But you and I had met John before. Actually, we were at the distillery. Indeed. A tremendous visit. John, very proud of the accommodation that we were in. 12th century pub. Uh -huh. uh, oh, small, right. uh, small market town in Wales. And then, yeah, getting to see the distillery. And some of the things that we'll talk about today... Uh, a, getting to meet the team. B, getting to see those stills. Very unique, very interesting uh, process that they yeah. have going on at Penderen. Yep. And then just seeing the you know, the countryside round about the distillery, getting to see the towns where people live. I think from the accommodation to the distillery, did we maybe spend an, an hour driving? Maybe somewhere around an hour? Uh, 
about that because we were staying in in Cardiff, right? And well, we flew into Cardiff. We weren't in Cardiff. Nope. We were about twenty minutes away from Cardiff. Were we? What the hell yes, town were we in? I fucked if I know. <laughs> that is the Welsh pronunciation of it. Oh, <laughs> there's a few D's in there. It's it's. Uh... <laughs> Do you remember in my little spiel a moment ago when I said small Welsh market town? That was to avoid saying the name of it. Oh right. And then you brought us right back to what's the name of it? <laughs> oh, look at me <laughs> playing the part of the American. <laughs> I do well, Jason. <laughs> it's Cardiff, right? We were 20 minutes outside Cardiff. It must be Cardiff. We flew into Cardiff. It must be Cardiff. <laughs> well, you know what? I I honestly think this, the situation that we are in right now is one a lot of people find themselves in because a lot of people simply don't know whales. I'm from Scotland. I don't know Wales. <laughs> that was my second time ever in Wales. So that's funny. You'd 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 mention. I think that when before we went to the distillery, yeah. and I was emailing with John, and I said, you know, hey, this is the first time anybody from our team has been to Wales, and you gave me a proper tongue lashing, <laughs> uh, and not 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 that kind, the not the naughty kind, but the. Gave me a proper tongue lashing. So you were there when you were a bit younger. Twelve. Yeah, I hadn't been in Wales in 30 years. And it was it was interesting because the day we were there when I was 12, uh, they'd had severe flooding. And mm. the whole, the whole pl- for, a, for a very hilly country, the majority of the place was underwater. Wow. And so until I went back to visit Penderan, my main memory of Wales was basically as one gigantic body of water. Is that why you were wearing the, the <laughs> pants that were a bit high? Yep. That's why I had flippers on. <laughs> you had a snorkel on the whole time. It was funny to watch you walk down the street with flippers and a snorkel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. As we say in Scotland, better safe than sorry. <laughs> Tickles me every time, every time. Um, so yeah, so it was it was nice to get back and see it not underwater, uh, just very very misty. And I don't know if you remember when the morning we were leaving, we were on the very early flight, and as we were driving uh, over to the airport, there was a ton of mist, mm-hmm. and and then and thankfully our, our plane took off on time. There was no delay. But then while we were in the air and we were flying into Edinburgh and then we had meetings in Edinburgh that day um, on another one of these smaller planes and they said, okay, I know we always ask you to turn off your electric equipment, but today we really, really mean it. Uh, we're, and then they, then they put the fear of God in us. We're going to be landing blind using only our dials and radar equipment. And, and I've never in my life seen everybody on a plane jump up reach into their bags turn off their laptops Everything. turn off their ipads <laughs> turn off their phones that people took it very very seriously and and then we landed no worries at all in edinburgh i remember that and it, it was up until then <laughs> that was crazy that was scary it was up until then that i i had thought the reason why airlines tell you 
to put your phone in airplane mode, to turn off your Wi-Fi, all this other stuff, specifically at the beginning of the trip, was because for insurance purposes, they want to get as many people paying attention to the spiel at the beginning about where the exits are and where the life fest is and oxygen masks coming down. You know, I always thought it was just something that they had to do to ensure they were following everything, you know, to make sure they have insurance should the worst happen. I just like the fact that it kind of gave a nod and a wink to the fact that I know we tell you to turn these things off. <laughs> oh, I know. We kind of know that you you don't really turn them off. You just don't use them in flight. Um, but but seriously, we're all taking our lives in our hands here, and it's really imperative that you turn everything off. Did, did you poop <laughs> There's yourself? There's a real commitment. Did you poop yourself uh, on that trip? I, no, I, I pooped yourself. You were sitting right next to me. <laughs> That's right. I totally <laughs> forgot that you pooped my pants. Do you remember we ordered green tea on that flight? And the the flight attendant looked at us as if we were both gay. <laughs> I do remember now. Remember that? I totally that forgot was, that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was a that was a weird interaction because we ordered green tea. Is does green tea equal gay? I I, I never thought so until that moment. I mean, there are uh, a lot of people in China, and they're all drinking green tea, and there are more well, and more people in China. Population is decreasing in China. Oh, right. There you go. <laughs> As everybody knows. Um, yes. So right. anyway, so that yeah. was that was uh, Wales. Wonderful trip. Uh, funny, funny ending to it. Um, but we still had a wonderful time. So I poured myself a delicious little pour of the Pindaren Sherry Wood. Hmm. Now, you, I know you don't have that one yet because this one just hit the U.S., but you remember when we were at the distillery and we were looking at the the new bottle shape that had yet to absolutely we yeah. saw the molds yeah so here here it is here it is beautiful Isn't that gorgeous yeah it's a good looking bottle it is uh, yeah it's, it's beautiful the height of it is it more in keeping with the the seventy five cl tall round yeah so for our listeners Pandaren traditionally had a bottle especially for the whiskey lovers out there had the same bottle that George T Stag uh, William Weller, you know the whole Buffalo Trace antique that, collection that taller uses, neck that taller neck who else uses that Lost Spirits Brian oh, Davis yeah. right yeah, he uses yeah, yeah. that that bottle yeah. And a few others. And they still use that bottle for what they call their Dragon Series. And then separately, and there are th- there are three products in that Dragon Series, which I know you've got one of them in your glass. Thank you. Um, but the And then there's the Gold Series, which in the U.S. we have two from the Gold Series. We've got the Sherrywood, which is the one I have, and then the Madeira which it's interesting. They have two different Madeiras. They have the Dragon Series Legend and then the Pandaren Gold Series Madeira. Now, the differences between the two is Dragon Series is 43%. The Gold Series is 46%. And, you know, we it was interesting. We had the Pandaren guys at our national sales meeting because, spoiler alert, Impex Beverages now imports Pandaren. It's true. But one of the reps said, you know, what what's the deal with that? Why have two different why have two Madeiras, one at 43% and one at 46%? I don't get it. And f- from the outside looking in, most people wouldn't. However, the the oak treatment is quite different. 
they're two totally different whiskeys. The one that you have, you'll probably notice all those like big, massive, lush fruit, almost candy-like flavors, like candied fruit. Agreed. Where the 46% is a bit more on that earthy side Hmm. of things. Okay. And it's just, you know, in some cases they're finishing, in some cases they're marrying fully matured, you know, ex-bourbon stuff and fully matured Madeira stuff just to get different flavor profiles. Checks out. Yep. So anyway, so geez, sorry, that kind of sounded like an ad for Pandaren. I didn't mean <laughs> for it to. Um, but it's but but I would say in your defense that if you've got to cover the ground and there's there's five distinct releases uh, in the United States, like there's a bit of explaining to be done there. Mm-hmm. I think our listeners understand that you taking time to explain something takes a long time. So yeah, okay. Kudos to you for almost not backing it up, though. (laughs) (laughs) Almost. Almost. Yeah. It wasn't built in a day, my friends. No, it wasn't. Yeah, no, this is is very delicious with that pronounced fruit note in it. Uh, This is very quaffable, as we've Mm -hmm. said on previous episodes. Yeah, and this, the, the sherry wood has that fruity note too, which I think comes from the spirit, but you've got just enough sherry influence and i think the way they rate it it's like a 70 actually we may have talked about it in the interview but it's like a 70 percent bourbon influence 30 percent sherry influence which their spirit is is delicate it's not light because the flavors are pronounced but it's still delicate that delicate fruity quality that i think you'd hate to have just you know massive sherry hiding that So let me back it up a little. Oh, snippity snap. I thought you'd appreciate that. One of the things Mm -hmm. with with Penderin and and with single malt uh, writ large, and and really the part of the reason why I'm backing this up is to go back to what I'd said about even being born and raised in Scotland and and only making it to Wales once while I I still lived there Mm -hmm. and only making it a second time once I'd moved away is how much do people know about Wales. When mm. when we see the English whiskey company come online and and we say, well, it's England, right? Oh, everybody knows about England. Well, really, everybody knows about London. And then what they know about England is really surmised from what yeah. they know about London. When you come to Wales and you talk about Cardiff or Swansea, mm. th- th- I don't think those are resonating. I, I say I, I don't think. I know for a fact those aren't resonating with people the way English whiskey, well, it's on the back of London, even though it's in Norfolk, which, which is a <laughs> fair bit away from London. Um, when you talk about Penderin, being in Wales, Cardiff, big city, Swansea, big city, I think the Penderin team, John and Rob, I think they go to great pains to let people know, mm-hmm. you actually do know about Wales. You know a little bit more about Wales than you ever thought you did. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. and here's why. And so in your interview with them, I want to give them a little moment to position their spirit, their distillery within a larger Wales, country of Wales. We, you know, we have a different story to tell uh, compared to... Uh, some of uh, you know some of the other whiskies. I mean, everybody's aware of Scotch whiskies. Uh, everyone's aware of Irish whiskey to a degree. Uh, Wales, to a degree, is like the secret Celtic nation. We 
we, you know, we we were sort of colonized by the English back in the 13th century, and we've we were the first we were the first English colony to a degree, and you know, different reasons people left Scotland and Ireland to come to America. Uh, Scotland they left because of the Highland clearances, and in Ireland they left because of religious persecution and the the potato famine. Well, Wales never had those kind of massive disasters really, uh, and so um, we've sort of got along quite quietly. But there is a history of distilling in Wales. Uh, there were stills in Wales back in the fourth century. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan Williams, who was one of the most famous kind of Kentucky names, uh, was born in Wales. Uh, he's obviously got a Welsh name, Williams. And then uh, there was a distillery in Wales in the late uh, 1800s, and that closed um, in about 1903. So we were effectively the first Welsh distillery for 100 years. And uh, you know, and our job is not just to to take Pendarians to the world, but also to teach people about Wales because maybe not a lot of people know a lot about Wales. Um, but it's uh, you know we have a great great long history. We've got one of the earliest literary traditions in Europe. We have our own language, which is spoken by about a quarter of the population, and our language is is li- related to Celtic and uh, Scottish and Irish Gaelic. Um, and it was the original language of Britain before it was invaded oh. by, first of all, the Romans, then the Vi- you know, Romans, Vikings, Anglo-Saxons, uh, the Normans from, from uh, France. And basically, the, the British people kind of head, headed for the hills, the hills of Scotland, the hills of Wales. Sure. So we are kind of the original Brits, if you like. <laughs> I mean, people will know, uh, you know, people will know about Welsh, some famous Welsh people, um, Tom Jones, Shirley Bassey, Richard Burton, and then more like, uh, more recently, people like Matthew Rhys, the star of The Americans. Yes. And uh, which Gav- I'm hooked on, by the way. Yeah, great. Yeah, he's, he's a yeah. brilliant actor. He's a great friend to us as well. Yeah. He turns up at events in in New York for us and things. He's he's a wonderful guy. And Gareth Bale, who was the most expensive uh, soccer player on the planet, who now plays for Real Madrid. He's whenever they win a game, he's running around the field with the Welsh flag. What a lot of people might not know is that 16 signatories on the Declaration of Independence were of Welsh origin. And right. Abraham Lincoln, uh, Thomas Jefferson had Welsh roots. Uh, people like Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, the, the great American architect, was very proud of his Welsh, of his Welsh history. And, um, you know, the, but we, as I said, we, we're, we're not as well known as the Scots and Irish and as a part of our job is as we educate the world about Pindera, we educate the world about Wales, and that kind of feeds back into building the brand. I will also say to you that being from Scotland, the Six Nations is a rugby tournament that is held uh, every February, runs into March. Okay. And the Six Nations are Scotland, Ireland, a united Ireland, I'll have you know, uh, rugby really? team. Yeah. Oh, Wales, England, France... And Italy. Hmm. And so Wales have always had a terrific rugby team. They've always been strong and broad shouldered. And so for me, again, you know, to make it about me, it's my damn podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, there's a rivalry that exists. Okay. And I'm, I'm not much of a soccer fella. Uh, and I know that Cardiff had a had a brief time in the English Premier League where Manchester United play, Liverpool play, Manchester City, you know, team, big teams like that. Yeah. And so for Cardiff to have presence there, that was a big deal. But the rugby, real rugby um, 
I'm pausing because I'm just remembering all the defeats at the hands of Wales. And, <laughs> and, and in the last couple of decades, those yeah. defeats have, be, have come along much more often. Hmm. Um, but it's, it's nice to have that rivalry. So, so for me, there, as much as I wasn't stepping foot in the country, there is an awareness. Wales, yeah, they're the buggers that are good at rugby. Um, and, and, and if yeah. Wales can beat England, that's fantastic. Really, if anybody can beat England, that's fantastic. So, so when they come along with a distillery, and, and I said this, uh, did we do an English whiskey company episode? We didn't. We didn't. Okay, we haven't done one yet. Okay, we, we will do that. But, but one of the things that I always encounter, especially when I'm pouring our single cast nation English whiskey company, is people are saying, oh, oh, English whiskey, Jason? English whiskey? And you go, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, England's the, the big country. Yeah, technically England is in ownership of Scotland, but it's also in ownership of, of Wales. There's partnerships there. So they're the big boy doing a single malt that's done by other countries, right? And you say, hey, power to them. I, I get nothing against them. When Wales comes along with a single malt, mm. I, I, I feel that sense of the underdog. You know, Scotland's oh, an underdog yeah, country. Yeah, yeah we, we're, you know, global champions for single malt. And I will I will say that whether it's controversial or not. Um Scotland still has an underdog status in everything else. And so I feel that with Wales. And, and John said it uh, in the interview, Wales used to have the biggest steel plant in the world. That is, that's mind-blowing. Right, right. Um, Welsh steel was known the world over. So, so they understand what it means to be a global leader in something. When they then come along with whiskey... They're starting from scratch again, but mm. they know, and, and John says this beautifully, they know what it takes to produce within a, a physical industry. Mm -hmm. And so when he talks about distilling, it's copper, it's steam, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's casks and cask building. They, they know what it takes. And so you hear those echoes of of a larger Wales when John talks about whiskey. Yeah. And and I, I, he doesn't talk about it for long, but given what I just said there, I think we can go over to John framing that quite beautifully. And a lot of our team came initially came from the steel industry. So this is very much, you know, Wales, is, Wales was the industrial heartland of the, uh, industrial heartbeat of the, uh, of the British Empire to a degree. I mean, in the 1890s, Wales had the biggest steel works in the world. Uh, a lot of Russian rail, uh, railway lines are all, you know, made from Welsh steel. Steel, uh, and the fact that we are we we are in an industrial area, a very sort of uh, left uh, left left thinking kind of uh, socially aware area, and the fact that you know we are we are in you know we're a distillery, but we're also an industry. We're working with, yeah. you know, copper and heat, and and, and we're, so we're very much part of the Welsh psyche of of yeah. industrialization, industrialization, and. Uh, you know, the, the team that brought all the knowledge from the steel industry into the whiskey industry, it's not quite kind of like some of the startups in England, for example, where it's moneyed people having a go. Sure. This is a genuine, you know, bottom-up industry. As industrial as it is, there's no escaping the artistry in what they're doing. Beautifully put, Joshua. I don't say that every podcast, but beautifully put. <laughs> they are producing single malt in a way that really no one else is doing right now. 
uh, uh, you have to agree with that statement because they're the only distillery who have stills that look like theirs. <laughs> you have to agree with that statement. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, it's so what I'll do is I will I'll put a picture on the masthead for people and I will also on the masthead of this episode and then also on our Facebook page and maybe even our Instagram I'll I'll put a diagram of the still. Now in that in the diagram of the still which which Rob is going to explain in a little bit how how it you know, all works out, but you get to see the sort of step one, step two bits of it. And at first it's a lot to look at, mm-hmm. Agreed, if, right? But yep. if you take a little time and really figure out, you know, okay, so it's going from here, then it's going into that pipe, then it's going from that column to that column and then back through now this pipe back into the first column you know, yep. it, it all starts to make sense. And and one of the things that I found most interesting, but unfortunately Rob was not able to to talk to it, <laughs> <laughs> was once the whiskey is ready to leave this ready to leave the still, right? Mm-hmm. Once you have spirit that you will now use to put into cask, the exit point is on the seventh plate of the second column. And there was a bit of trial and error. And, <laughs> and right, and I would love to know, you know, all right, all right guys, let's let's try the tenth plate today. Oof, no. Oof, oof. Let's try the second plate. Oh, even worse, you know. No. Sixth plate. I feel like we're getting there. Yeah, I feel so like close. it's getting closer. And someone said, eighth plate. What are you, crazy? Come on, John. Fired. <laughs> Do not come back tomorrow. <laughs> but, then they, but then they settled on the seventh plate. That's beautiful. You know, th- this, this may be a bit of a stretch, but it, it reminds me of when you and I try to come up with, with a blend. Like, And we'll talk about this in the news in a little bit. When we, when we came up with the Whiskey Jubilee New York marriage yes. of, of bourbon yes. to rye. Yes. And we're trying to sort out the right ratio. Yep. yep. And even a couple percentage points off. And yep. it was no way this, this isn't going to work. That's terrible. Yep. Or it's hiding something or, you know. And, and that's why when somebody says the seventh plate of the second still, I'm like, yeah, that, that does make sense. I could see how you ended up that specific to get exactly what you wanted, Be- because little changes can make very big differences. Let's hear Rob talk about it a little bit. I think John chimes in a bit here as well, but let's hear them explain their distillation process. So with regards to the brand itself and educating people, not just on the brand and and uh, maybe a bit of that, the history of Wales and the modern day connection that people connections that people don't even realize, like you were saying with various actors and athletes and, and such, but educating them on the brand and the whiskey itself. I told you I was with Jared and we did this event on a cruise. It's the Whiskey Guild Cruise. And we had on the table Kilhoman and Port Askeg and Noishi and Pandaren. And usually it's the smoky whiskeys that people say, oh my God, that's, oh, that's so good that, you know, whatever they say. Uh, but people kept coming back to, we had in the, from the Dragon series, Legend and Kelt. And people, I would say, went more for Legend 
It was the fruitiness. The the flavors weren't subtle. Uh, they were, you know, big, bright and vibrant and chewy flavors. And your style of distilling is quite different. And um, I, I'm always curious where flavor comes from, right? When you're dealing with just barley, yeast, water, time in a cask. Um, <clears throat> but distillation practices are different. Stills are different. And you guys in particular have a very unusual still, the Faraday still, which I learned yesterday. And I want you to go into a bit of detail on it. But I learned yesterday that, or maybe was reminded yesterday, that that still was at one time the massive column on it was supposed to be one piece, but it was split into yeah, yes. into two because of height restriction. Yeah, in the Brecon Beacons National Park, so we split it into right, right from the beginning back back in 1999 when the first distillation yeah um, took place. Um, the still is very very unique. It's a very efficient still, um, and it, it allows time for you know um, interaction with the copper. It allows for separation, um, and what and what's good about it. Um, is that it allows for um, desirable flavors to redissolve back into high strength alcohol. So we get the, you know le- it leaves behind the, the the flavors that we we desire for for aging. Uh, removes a lot of those chemical compounds which other stills, um, not just in the UK but but worldwide are unable to do. Um, it draws spirit off between eighty six and ninety two percent, which is which is higher than the industry average, and leaves behind a very complex. Um, um, in-depth uh, f- uh, spirit with finesse, um, and you know it, it is very fr- it's very fruity. Um, and when people come to the distillery, you know they they're, they're allowed to um, obviously nose the spirit. Um, it's, you know it's very it's very fruity, um, and I think I think it's mainly down to you know you know it's it's allowed to sit on the plates. It then evaporates back into into the pot. And then it moves up continuously up, up through the, the you know through the plates six plates in the first column, eighteen plates in the second column, uh, and after tr- you know through trial and error over the years, uh, we we draw the spirit off on the seventh plate of the second column. Uh, don't ask me why because I, it, it was well before I I started the distillery. Yeah. Um, but yes, you know it's a very efficient still. You know it's a fractional column. So you know it's, it's it's different. It is different yeah. from from the, the you know the average still you know in, in the industry. Yesterday you were you were trying to explain the process to me. So I want to break it down just a little bit if we can. So you you you've got you've got your mash becomes a wash in uh, in in your wash backs, and then you put um, the wash into the pot. Of this still, ABV. right? Eight eight percent alcohol. How long's your fermentation time? Seventy two hours. Seventy two. Yeah. Okay, so seventy two hours. We got the eight percent alcohol wash into oh. the pot, and the way that I understood the process was, you boil the wash. It goes up into the first column. You've got six plates in the yeah. first column. Plates, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and then it goes into the second column. Mm-hmm. Sixteen plates. Eighteen plates. 18 but then condenses at the top and it falls back down as liquid. Then does it go back into recycles, the first column? Recycles, yeah, down back into the pot. There's two pipes. 
So this, once it hits the top of the second column, and then falls back and recycles back down, then back up through the first column, and then up the second column and back down again. So there's two pipes on the diagram that we we discussed yes. yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so there's a recycle there's a recycle column which yes. then goes back down, and back up, and then back through and then back down again. So it's a continuous for six for well for, oh, it takes yeah. about six to eight hours. Okay. I think what I'll do <laughs> is I'll have to post a picture of it yes, on our right. on our. We can go through that in, in, in further detail, but there's a recycling column, uh, uh, to, uh, pipe, sorry, yeah. uh, directly <coughs> beneath the pipe where it's pumped from the first column over to the second column. Okay. So you're taking, after the spirit goes through the stills, and, and it is continuous, yeah. and it's sort of cycling through the first column, yeah, then the, the second place, column, the then the first, then back to the yeah. second, and then out. So I'll leave it more refined. As, as it's yeah. going around, so it's having time to interact with it with the copper. So you know, it's a very efficient still. Yeah. Still, so. And I say it removes a lot of those chemical compounds that we don't need removing during the aging, because obviously you know, you know there's a filter in in, in sure. the casks, but you know a lot of it's removed during that distillation. Okay. Especially for that single pot operation. Okay. It's um, yeah, it's a very efficient uh, process. And if I understood correctly, there there is no four shots. Hearts and faints. It's just hearts and yes. and faints. Yes, yes, yes. So eighty six between eighty six and ninety two percent ABV. Once it drops below that eighty six, then it's used for the next distillation. Okay. Um, so it's twenty four hour distilling. Okay. Yeah. And we have two of those stills. We we commissioned a, a second, unique still. You said something interesting, Jason. Thank you. Checks out. <laughs> that t- sounds like me. Right. You know we're talking about ratios uh, for blends and then and then you had said you know when someone says the seventh plate on the second still right there yeah. there's purpose there like they have figured it out it reminds me of and I don't know if this is real because I've never googled it I've only heard of this but apparently there was this doctor that used to have an infomercial that would talk about the benefits of drinking your own urine. Oh yeah, that checks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and oh, yeah. and yeah. his yogis have professed the value for centuries. All right. Yeah. So his thing was to drink the first quarter of ah, the second go. half there you of come. your urine stream. I will say right now, Penderin are loving this comparison, <laughs> loving it. They are saying to themselves. Interviewing <laughs> with Joshua, do not regret it. <laughs> Don't no, regret it. no, yeah. As as you're called yeah. into the MD's office, the, yes. the managing director, the CEO, yeah. and and he's listening to the podcast. Absolutely, this yeah. is why Spot we gave on. Joshua Hatton our time. Yes, and here's the payoff. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the yogi says. <laughs> the tagline to this. To this, you know, infomercial was urine good health, TM. Oh, gosh. So what the listeners can't see is Jason threw his head back and laughed. He's laughing so hard you can't hear him. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've so also got whiskey. a mouthful of urine. <laughs> <laughs> it's whiskey. I know the color looks similar. <laughs> yeah, I didn't listen to the end of what you were saying. I just went with the first flush. So I think that... <laughs> That was maybe a mistake. <laughs> Ooh, salty. Mm. <laughs> I need to hydrate. It's got a bit of brine about it. <laughs> Coastal sea breeze. Uh, so yes, so so your point about specificity 
is well taken, Joshua. Thank yeah. you for contributing to the conversation. Well, and I feel that while you, <laughs> while you sir, backed it up previously. Oh, did you have something that you have to say? So if you do, I'll let you talk. If not, it's my turn. Just the fact that you, you took that as a straight up compliment. It's <laughs> being 100% sarcastic. No, it's a compliment. It's a little um, trait of yours I've noticed over the years. <laughs> we actually, you you made a joke about that in an early episode. You said, I can't believe that you're, that you're taking that as a compliment. I'm like, I know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I was in a very sticky web. I could not get out. Um, I need to back it up a little bit because, you know, you had talked about the industrial aspect. Yes, right? sir. Yes, 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 yes. And from, from the standpoint of this is hands-on, you know, hands-on production of whiskey, they know how to do it. It's, it's casks, it's copper, it's steam. It's an industrial, as pretty as it is, as pretty as any distillery is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, an yeah, industrial yeah. complex, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's rare to find the one that is, you know, a, a working work of art. You know, they have a function. They have piping, and they, yeah. which, which I think is beautiful. It's beautiful it's in and of itself. It's, it's a work of art in and of yeah. itself. I remember, and we'll, I will get to my point in a second, but oh, I remember... Backing up the back it up. <laughs> on you. You and I back in, say, 2013, uh, maybe 2014, going to, to Martin, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. meeting with Graham Ewanson, who mm -hmm. took us around, uh, Graham Ewanson, for those that don't know, he is the distillery manager of Tomat, and he used to be the distillery manager of Glenmorangie, just to give you some signposts to al along the way with this story here. But when we got to the distillery, and he was meant to show us around, he said, I've got to warn you, you know, this is a working distillery. At one point, they had 21 stills. They're down to yeah. 14 now, I think. Yeah. But he said, this is a working distillery. It's not much to look at. And then you and I found quite the opposite. The fact that it is a working distillery made it something quite beautiful to look at and and awe-inspiring. It was just great. Just to make an aside to your backing up the backing oh, it shit, up. man. Do you remember at Tomatin the stills way above our heads? Yes, yes. And the rope that that hung down with the ball with, on it with the, with the ball on it and, and you kind of pulled the rope out and let it swing a little bit and when the ball hit the still it would tell the stillman what volume uh, that still was yeah. at yeah because their wash stills didn't have windows so they need they couldn't visually well, see where it was they're also above your bloody heads well they're above <laughs> your heads but yeah but they, they needed just to just to hear it that was fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. so okay, so, let's let's bring it bring it back. Okay, bring so it that's up, bring the it end it of the diversion. It it's the end of the back it up to Tomatin. Okay, where were you at? Here's you don't remember, where, do here you? is here's where the artistry comes into play. Mm -hmm. And and I found this quite interesting. Uh, when when Pandaren were looking for people to basically for distillers, for whiskey blenders, for people to create their whiskeys. John had said, and, and he talks about it in the interview, and we'll cut over to him in a second, but when they went to hire people, they wanted to hire people who were basically lab technicians 
not really letting them know what their job was going to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but they would, you know, be nosing whiskeys, tasting whiskeys. And they found out that all of the people that they hired were, were women that had these amazing noses and amazing palates who are making what Pandaren is. They, they know what smells good, what tastes good. And using what they know are able to run the stills in such a way, right? Are able to blend the whiskeys in such a way. Now, granted, they have a larger panel that, you know, um, solidifies everything that they do to ensure, you know, their the releases are what the releases are. But I love that they're coming at it from the perspective of nose palette finish. And that that's the art. That is, when you're designing a whiskey for scent and flavor and experience rather than guys, we've got to put out 6 million liters of spirit per year. Marketing team says we have to have a 10 year old and a 15 year old and, and, and a 21 year old, you know, and while those whiskeys are still good, I think Pandaren makes a point to saying that we're doing things a bit differently. And, and I liked that. And maybe I'm wrong in thinking that they are doing it any differently well i think a bit like their unique stills they're doing it in their own way to Mm -hmm. to come out with a madeira finished uh, whiskey is to show that you understand what your new make is doing is to show that you understand what it's doing in wood and it's showing that you understand what madeira can bring to that party Mm. that doesn't Mm -hmm. detract or distract from the whiskey but only complements it yeah yep good Good, good, good. So we, have a, we have a rating system at the distillery, so we, do, we don't release things unless they fall under, you know, they have to reach a certain standard in the business. Otherwise, you haven't got that consistency, and it's important to have consistency with, you know, single malt, especially when you grow in the business, because, we, you know, we, we want to maintain that good reputation that we've built up over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes time, you know, um, to, to, to build that confidence, not just as, as, you know, as a workforce, but, you know, with a customer base as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything that goes out the door is absolutely the best we can make it. Yeah. 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 And getting back to your rating system, which helps to ensure everything that goes out the building is how it's supposed to be. I need to talk in this. The people rating that. Now, you've got a team of of three women, uh, blender, distiller, and there's a new... Trainee trainee distiller. Trainee distiller. So that's... You know, we talked about it before when you, you talked about your rating system. It's these three women that are ensuring the product quality is where it should be, the consistency is where it should be. And a lot of that goes back to the fact that women just have better noses than men do. Simple yeah. Enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, Obviously, they have to be academically qualified as well, but we, yeah. don't, we never hire distillers. We hire sort of lab technicians, and they come in and they don't really yeah. know what they're going for. But it's, it's, it's just by chance that the three distillers were the best three people for the jobs. Wow. Um, but also, having said that, other people then get involved once, once the decision is made on, yes. especially on new whiskies, you know, then there's a, the, the whole sort of team yeah. gets together and mm. we knows every Monday. Yeah. Uh, we knows new, new products, new ideas. We also knows the next release. Yeah. Okay. Or knows on taste, obviously. Yeah. Especially, especially for... You know, n- important new listing opportunities. We've secured a uh, very important listing with the airports in the UK recently. 
with a new product we've released called um, Faraday. So, yeah, it is important that we we okay. we review them um, on, a, on a weekly, monthly, but you know, fortnightly or monthly basis to make sure that we're happy with it before you know a new listing is a new product is launched. Mm-hmm. Have you finished your whiskey, Jason? I have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I right? cannot tell a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it was jolly good. It's the Pandera and Sherry Wood is currently the only bottle that I have in my possession right now because mm-hmm. this this line is is really new to the U.S. And I, I take that back. I've I've got a couple bottles in my sample inventory, but it's way over there. It's in another room. It's on the other wing of the house, Jason. Uh, you beat me to it. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to decide if I pour a little more sherry wood or if there was maybe a single cast nation bottling that you were interested in enjoying together. I'll tell you this, Joshua. The Pandaren that I had in my glass mm-hmm. made me think a little bit of our Cambus 28-year-old uh-huh. that was Finished in Muscatel. Oh. Had a little bit of that, just like I was describing before the clip. Here's, yeah, yeah. here's something that you can add to a whiskey as, as opposed to detracting or distracting. And so I don't know if you've got any Canvas 28-year-old retail release near you so that you don't have to go to the other wing of the house. Yeah, actually, I, I think I'm I think I'm looking at a bottle right now. So oh, you go. Um, yeah, give me a second. Um Give me a second. Oy. Oy. Just getting out of this chair. What Jesus. chair is that? I don't think you're doing it right. I'm back now with whiskey in the glass, and I feel I've let you down a bit. That sounds like an Irish song. Whiskey in the glass? Whiskey in the jar is the song. Oh, then there was that shit-ass Metallica version. That sounds like Metallica. Yeah, checks out. Black album and, and afterward, all terrible. Anything except before? We'll, except we'll have to scrub this when we ultimately interview them to talk about their whiskey release. I love Metallica so much. <laughs> <laughs> Lars, great drummer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, can you imagine looking to interview Metallica for that? And like, let's check up on the interviewers. Let's see what they post in Facebook. I don't think I talk about... If I mention drumming, I've got to get in there somewhere that Lars is the worst fucking drummer ever. Um, God, he's so bad. He's so bad. Anyway, I do feel as if I may have let you down. Do you know why? (laughs) Because it's a day of the week that ends in why? Oh, 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 oh. Snippity snap. (laughs) Well, I... You know, I, I didn't want to go too far to look for the bottle of canvas. Now, I thought I thought that I had a bottle right over there. All right. But that's what I get for thinking I didn't have a bottle. Your manservant was not able to bring it to you? You didn't ring the bell and he put your demands into the dumb waiter and sent it down to the whiskey cellar? No. No, I don't have anyone like Lurch to help me out. I ring the bell and he comes in and he says, You're right. I couldn't find my canvas, but I did find this, which I find to be quite fruity and delicious. And it's 
like the Pandaren Sherry Wood, like the Camb- like our Cambus 28-year-old, this is also a finished whiskey. And this is the uh, Gordon McPhail Private Collection Portwood Finished Imperial that uh, someone got me for my birthday. Uh, whoever it was, they were a mensch. There's something, all right. Did you notice that was bottle 29 of 1010? I did. Look at that. Look at this. Look at that. Not. <laughs> I'm glad you like it so much, though. Yeah. With with that in mind, and I didn't even mean to do this. This this just goes to show you how. I believe you. <laughs> this just this is just just comes natural to me. Here we are drinking three different finished whiskeys. And really, when it comes to Pandaren, all of their whiskeys have a finish and always have. Traditionally, always have. Their first ever release was a Madeira cask finish. And now they have two different Madeira cask finish. And they've got mm-hmm. a Portwood, which is it's not available in the U.S., at least not yet. Uh, they have the Sherry Wood. Uh, their Myth is a... And you are going to love this. What do they call it? STR casks. They basically took Exporto casks uh, and Dechar rechard them. Awesome. You know now where we stand on Dechar rechar. So actually, it's not even Dechar rechar. I'm going to go a little deeper because I asked Rob this question, and he answered it in a little more depth in our in our sales meeting. So it's strip. Toast and rechar, that's the STR. Ah. But then there are also some casks of these Bordeaux casks that are just rechard, still with some of that wine in there. So you get all of that, you know, really crystallized sugars going on there. Or car- yep. I'm sorry, caramelized sugars going on there. And it really helps to bring out those massive fruity notes in the whiskey. But you know, we've spoken with David Stirk about this. I think we spoke with Mark Watt about this. And their mantra was, no one finishes a perfect whiskey. People are finishing a whiskey because it they're either fixing it or they're doing something to it. It's not perfect. And, and I like Pandaren's approach. And we talk about cask maturation here. And I'll bring that in. Uh, but I liked their approach from the beginning where rather than trying to hide something, rather than trying to fix something, they are using these finishes just to create certain dimensions to the whiskey. And I think Glenn Morangy does the same. You know, I, you know how I feel about Glenn Morangy original, their 10-year-old. I think it's a perfect little whiskey in and of itself. Like we said in our previous episode, it's a whiskey worth its money, right? Mm-hmm. It's a good, inexpensive whiskey. It does everything you want it to. It doesn't need any finishing. It doesn't need anything more. But Glenn Morangy does do some finishing to add dimension. And I think Pandaren here is doing the same. And interestingly enough... Both Glenmorangie and Pandaren had the help of Dr. Jim Swan to help them with their whiskeys to maybe change things up a bit or come out with new lines or what have you. So it's interesting, you know, I, I wonder if some of that finishing comes from Dr. Jim Swan. 
in some way. All that aside, Jason, because that that's just conjecture. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to hear John and Rob talk about cask maturation and in their wood management program. The story of the still is interesting as well. You know, it it was uh, part of a postgraduate um, uh, university project. Uh, in it, it was built in uh, it was made in in um, in the southeast of England, and it f- somehow found itself to Wales. In a warehouse, it wasn't used for a while. There's a bit of a, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a story about that. But uh, a guy who lived quite close to our distillery, well, it was a wine warehouse then. He owned the wine warehouse. He found out about this still that was that had come on the market for 150,000 pounds, and he phoned up a few friends late at night, and they gathered in his pub. They got they got the money together. Uh, the big the big thing when I interviewed the guy who sadly died now, he said, we, you know, made sure we didn't tell the wives. And he he was interested in the still because of the history of distilling in Wales and also the fact that in his warehouse he had a borehole which drew up natural spring water from the Brecon Beacons, which is this stunning national park in Wales. Yeah. And uh, very early on, Dr. Jim Swan, who's a legend in the whiskey world, again, sadly passed away, uh, was was quite excited about this. He, he, he started developing a passion for new distilleries in new places mm. and he got involved. And one of the key things that he said was to use the, um, the spirit. He said, we should use Madeira casks to finish this. Yeah. Uh, and so the house style is a Madeira finish, though we do have other finishes yeah. now. Yeah. No, I, that, um, that was a perfect transition because I wanted to get an understanding of why, why your final product tends to be a finished product. And you started off with Madeira, and now you've got sherry wood as well. Yeah. And we have we also use um, a, a STR cask, which is strip, strip toasted and recharred cask. We, They're red we, wine yeah, casks. Yeah, red wine casks. Oh, we for Pendere Myth, which is currently in the yeah. Myth, range. Yeah. yeah, we use Oloroso, sorry, Oloroso casks. <laughs> so with the Pendere Sherry Wood, you know, it's a very complex um, single malt, 70% bourbon, 30% Oloroso. Um, so they marry together. Um, is that a is that a finish or is it? It is finished. Yes, finished. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so you're talking overall influence. Yeah. It's we, we yeah. Combine, so we, we the spirit goes into ex bourbon casks, yeah. uh, mainly from Buffalo Trace. When we put a batch together, we combine whiskies that have stayed in a bourbon cask with whiskies that have been finished in a Madeira cask or a Olorosa cask, mm-hmm. as, as Rob said. A Lafroy quarter cask. And yeah. for the, for the There's a lot of science in the balance of bringing those two different yeah. casks sure. together. We generally batch uh, about 30 casks uh, for our... For a release. For a release, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's when it's ready. Right. Rather than anything else. As you're prone to do, Joshua, you, you asked a good question in your interview. Wow. Look at that. I think this may be the second time you've you've handed me a compliment. <laughs> second and last. Penderen being a, a new name for a lot of people, especially in the United States, they're going to think it's maybe a, a brand new kid on the block. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and my understanding is they came online not too long after the Aaron Distillery. I think you had Aaron in 95 and you had Pendera in 99. in 99, yeah. yeah. So, so that's only four years, but, but it was last century. <laughs> so Right, and before, and the interesting part, before any sort of whiskey boom. 
Exactly. That's what I was about to say. So okay. thank you for covering that, that for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, you took that as a compliment. And <laughs> <laughs> and and so the question that you asked is, what have you learned over your over your two decades? Almost two decades if you're yeah. gonna be pedantic at home or in your car. And what have you learned? And and they had a, an answer for that, which I'm very glad that they did. And unlike Joshua, I'm not going to back anything up. I'm going to go straight to the answer. Look at you. I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that you actually have whiskey in your warehouses that's 18 years, Mm -hmm. 18 years old. Yeah, we started distilling in 1999. Right. And and what's changed from then? Obviously, a lot has changed from then to now. But I'm curious, what's the big thing from then till now? Well, in terms of the distillery, um, we we installed um, new you know new stills, uh, mashing facilities, fermentation tanks. Mashing uh, was a big thing. It was for a big us. thing because we previously sourced the malted barley wash from a big brewery in Cardiff called Brains. Yes, yeah. Uh, so we now manage that quality, you know, the quality control on site, and I think that's important. Yeah. Um, it helps in terms of you know in terms of you know, raw material costs. When did when did that switch over from? Twenty thirteen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we we were in a position five years ago where we were sort of reaching our capacity. You know, sales had increased considerably after new listings, not just domestically but you know internationally as well. Yeah, we were, uh, we, were we were juggling. We were basically selling everything we were making. Yeah. So we did a big expansion where we got the second the copy of the still. Sure. And uh, that sort of helped us to to really increase our, our you know we want to build up stock in the warehouse as yeah. well as sell. You know, it's important that um, for the future that we, we have a lot of stock. Yeah, so, so in 2013, you added your own mash tun and washbacks. Same year, the second Faraday still. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, you're, you now have got two copper pot stills. We've got copper pot stills, yeah. And we, obviously nothing's hit the market yet that's come from those, but the, the signs are very favorable. The spirit is quite wonderful. And we, you know, uh, our blender and her team um, are continually sort of uh, experimenting with, with, with new whiskies, but that, that's for the future anyway. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, you know, we've gone from tw- distilling five days a week up to, you know, 24-7 now. Um, so, you know, we're li- in terms of litres per alcohol, we're, we're, you know, we're producing a lot more. Um, and What's I, the overall production right I, now? I think it's about 400,000 litres of pure alcohol. That's the, that's the plan. Um, ar- approximately 400,000 for, for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, but then, you know, that'll put us in a position where we can sell more whiskey. You know, we, we, we have a five-year plan in the business. Um, and, we, you know, we've got targets that we, you know, we want to hit. And I would say over the last two years, we've done very well. If we can continue with that trend, and I think, you know, things are going to look very good indeed in the next, in the next five or six years. Yes. Also, we've got huge number, huge, huge staff numbers as well. We're up to about sixty members of staff now. Wow. We should double since I started the business back in two thousand and nine. Okay, so the business has moved on quite a okay. bit since then. Um, I think it makes good sense after asking them what they've learned from the last couple of decades, mm-hmm. almost couple of decades. What does the future hold for them? And they have got some remarkable plans, and their plans make me think a little bit about Springbank and the Mitchell family. Okay. How so? That you're going to have single ownership with multiple distilleries in what could potentially be labelled its own region. Oh, that's interesting. 
So without further ado, throw it back over to John and Rob. There's a lot of hard work that's gone gone in. You know, you know, we've in some years, you know, it's been difficult as a business. You know, we've built the business up. We, you know, we opened the visitor centre in 2008. You know, it's award-winning visitor centre. You know, John's closer to me than that. But you know, we've won certificate of excellence on TripAdvisor. We even beat Doctor Who, which I'm assuming is quite big in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they beat yeah. beat them to a tra- attraction of the year. Do you know, it was their 50th year anniversary, and I remember sitting there in my living room um, and. There was all these Doc Doctor Who programs coming on to, to, to commemorate the you know the fifty fifty year anniversary, <laughs> and then the yeah. following week or whenever it was I can't remember but it, you know we beat them to the prize um, up in North Wales there and a, and there was a great achievement. It was a Doctor so. Who experience that you could go to. Yeah. yeah. So we beat Doctor Who. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But you know the visitor centre, as John mentioned yesterday, is very important to the business. You know we have approximately forty two thousand visitors to the distillery. It's important that people have a you know a great experience and mm-hmm. take that away with people, and then bring other people you know other people to the distillery and with yeah. with the expansion and new distilleries from visitor centres that we're opening over the next couple of years, you know I th- you know I think we, we we could potentially become one of the well definitely one of the biggest tourist, tourist attractions in Wales, you know, and hopefully you know UK wide in maybe a decade or so you know it's sure. a possibility. Currently, the biggest tourist attraction in Wales are our castles. Yeah. We have six hundred castles in Wales and Wales is about the size of New Jersey uh, it's got more castles per you know area than any other country in the world they were all built by the English to protect themselves from the from the angry Welsh on their doorsteps but uh, yeah we, we, we're becoming a, a big a big tourist attraction which again you know if you see 42,000 people that's 42,000 new fans that, that are coming through yeah. they go away they talk about their experience because when you start off it's very important to get people turn not just to turn customers into ambassadors mm. that's essential especially in this day and age where everyone's on social media you know either you know elevating stuff or complaining about things and uh, the visitor center is a vital part of our business really and we're in a very beautiful area we're in we're in an area called sort of waterfall country we're surrounded by waterfalls and green yeah. hills and, yeah. and farmland the local pub is a 12th century pub you know, this is a pretty ancient part of the world, yeah. uh, very beautiful part of the world. It's like a, you know, uh, and, and yeah, so, and we are, as Rob said, we are hoping to open another couple of uh, distilleries up in Wales, one in a big city, Swansea, because at the moment we're kind of out in the wilds, mm-hmm. and another one in North Wales. And because the funny thing about Wales is, even though it's quite a small country, North Wales and South Wales are almost like different countries, mm. because it's quite hard to drive up through the middle of Wales because it's so mountainous. Okay. You know, it's quick, quicker for us to drive to London than it is to drive to North Wales. Sure. And, but the North Wales, North Welsh people are very passionate about Wales. They speak. There's more of the language spoken up there, and they've always been great champions of ours. And I think you know we're not repaying them, but by opening a new distillery up there, yeah. and up there we're hoping to see. 100,000 visitors a year sure. because the North Wales distillery will be quite close to Manchester and Liverpool you know huge conurbations and then the third distillery hopefully will open in Swansea um, which is a big city about an hour away from where we are wow. and Swansea you know probably best known for its uh, its football team which sure. had a short lived period in the Premier League but hopefully they'll they'll come back uh, this <laughs> season maybe not Rob's, Rob's a big fan but <laughs> they're not doing very well at the moment As we listen to John and Rob discussing the future of Penderen, Mm -hmm. what that's going to look like in Wales, I think part of it for us is what's that going to look like in the United States. Sure. And I think they've they've had a journey. Just and I think this was nice 
for that, looking back over two decades and then looking forward here, they did what I think a lot of new distilleries do, which is they come to a new market. Mm -hmm. They ask themselves, who ought we partner with? Who ought we jump into bed with? And I think it's very appealing to see these larger whiskey houses who have massive presence. And you think, holy moly, we signed with X. We're going to be everywhere. And then as you come into the market and you start looking around, Mm -hmm. you see that whiskey houses portfolio yeah. On retail shelves or on bar uh, barbacks, mm-hmm. back bars, uh, barbacks, barebacks, and <laughs> <laughs> and you and, and you wonder where your bottle is, where your product is. Sure. And I think for some uh, new distillers, it takes them a bit of time to realize maybe going with the biggest house or or one of the yeah. big whiskey houses it doesn't get you the coverage that you anticipate. And I, and I think it's very natural thinking that if I go with the big one, I'll be in tons of places and I'll be very well represented. What can actually happen is you kind of disappear from their portfolio because you're only a, a single skew or you're only a couple of skews. Yeah. Uh, by skew, I simply mean a release point. Yeah, bottling, uh, yeah. You know, right, whether you might know as an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old, as you mentioned earlier, the 12 yeah. or 15 or 21, that's, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. th- those are single skews. So I think as as they're looking at the future in the United States, you know, what does it mean to be with Impex? What does that have to offer? And I think, you know, the thing they, they may have realized from being at the sales meeting is it's a small, intimate crew of whiskey lovers mm. who will make sure that that brand is represented. It will start to appear on shelves. It will be in barbacks, back bars. Uh, uh, Barebacks bear with you. the silver back. Thank you for the clarification. Yep. And, and it, it will be seen, it will be represented. And what's the one thing that we know from spending time with, with John it's now been a few times uh, we spent with John. Rob was the first time, but there's a story to be told here, and it's not just a marketing story. It's not just um, <laughs> uh, valleys and choirs and, and steam engines. Um, it's people, and it's hard work, and it's graft, and it's a place in the world. And it's taking a, a rightful spot next to other famous Welsh icons. And I think Impex will tell that story. I think that will be well represented uh, in Pindaren's future. Uh, certainly in America, that's the market that we're discussing. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. You know, it, it's your small, you know, imagine if you were a candy, right? And you've, you've got this great candy bar that you've made. And locally, people are loving it, right? And it's selling around because there's pride for it. And you have a chance to sell it into other places. Now, you can go with the biggest candy store around and you say, those guys are now selling our candies. That's fantastic. Go check it out. And you go in there and it's massive because that candy shop has everything 
but it's lost because a lot of what's taking up the candy shop are all of the M&M's stands and all of the the Haida candy stands and you know what have you all these really big name things that have been around for for quite a long time probably have some marketing money to spend on special displays in that candy store and so on and so forth uh it doesn't mean that artisanal uh candy is is any worse than it's just they're smaller than but if you get that same candy bar into a specialty candy shop where people are able to push it because they're passionate about it, now it's different. And I I only use that example because the town that I live in, you know, it's this tiny, quaint little New England town, and we have this little candy shop called the Village Chocolatier, and that's what they do. They push small candies. And uh, I was there with my daughters, and uh, we go there a lot. So there you go. Let me just say, yes. that is... Easily, yes. The strangest analogy I've ever heard. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll hear more from John and Rob at the end of the episode. Uh, Joshua did get them uh, to describe, oh, misconception, yes, to relay uh, a misconception. So. Uh, well, well, we'll come back to them. I will thank them for the moment, for their time. I know that you were all very busy in San Francisco. Yes. And for yeah. them to squeeze 40 minutes uh, into their day so that you could interview them was very much appreciated. And uh, and for their troubles, they got to hear a, another analogy about drinking urine. So we've had candy shops <laughs> and drinking your own urine in the Penderin episode. But they say, Joshua, there's no, uh, there's no such thing as bad press. And you are you're testing that today, and I greatly appreciate that. I think I I have the best analogies. And people say that I've got you know the the best analogies, the best metaphors. Is it some of the smartest people that are saying that you've got the best analogies and metaphors? So, so, some of the smartest. Now people can't see me doing the the okay sim the back and forth okay symbols with my hands. Um, is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the one-handed okay symbol. That's the okay. one-handed okay. I'm almost okay. there symbol. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm talking about urine and candy, and you're talking about masturbation. What? No, I was talking about the one-handed okay symbol. <laughs> <laughs> it's the visual humor that does the best on a podcast. So, hey, Joshua. Hey, Jason. Go wake up the paper boy. Why? What's he done now? No, just run. Did you do something wrong? Just go wake up the Is paper he been boy. a bad boy? Just go wake up the paper boy. Where, where's, okay, I'll go wake him up. Hey, paper boy. <laughs> extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and when we had our planning meeting for this episode, Joshua, mm-hmm. and you didn't bring up any of the things that you went on to talk about in this episode. <laughs> Because I need to keep you on your toes. If we if we just went out and we planned this and we were like, okay, we are going to talk, here's points A, B, C, and D, then it's just that's all it is. Nobody there needs to be nobody could even imagine where we go from planning meeting to actual recording. So you did, do gay bar. You said hey, all I was drinking was green tea. I don't quite know what was <laughs> happening. <laughs> It was a nightclub. It was, uh, and I was just drinking green tea, and <laughs> and doing the and doing the moving okay symbol. I don't know what was happening. We, you, 
when I say we, I mean you. Yeah. Had something up your sleeve for the news section that I, I did. didn't know about. So give, give a little bit about the, the Whiskey Jubilee uh, New York City 2018 that we just sold out. Give a little bit of news about that and then dazzle me with this other bit of news that I don't know anything about. Can you remind me what that is? You never told me you were saving it for the podcast. Fucking remember what it is. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, did, I ha- did I have news? You said I've got some news. That you got a maybe a Facebook message from somebody or you got an email from somebody. Yes, this kind of sounds, this sounds familiar. <laughs> Good God. Okay, hold on, hold My on. My God, I'm a patient man, but I only have so much. <sighs> We're just going to revisit a couple of last episode's announcements. Mm-hmm. Just to, to say a couple more things about them and then we'll, we'll move on to some emails, which okay. uh, we're excited have come in. We launched the... We released the last of our Whiskey Jubilee New York City mm. uh, last Wednesday, given when this podcast comes out last Tuesday, as I just said. <laughs> <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, yeah. And and we'd announced that we weren't going to put them on lottery. We have said that future American, uh, the bourbons that we put out, we're going to put the rise as well onto uh, onto lottery as well, or just the bourbons when they come out. American whiskey. American whiskey. I really think it's got to be American whiskey. But you know, even though our Port Charlotte and our Stones of Stenness sold out very quickly. And I imagine our Glenn Farkless will do the same. And we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a minute. We call that foreshadowing in the business? Oh, foreskinning. Always the penis with you. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to American whiskeys, we have not seen traffic to our website like we've seen until very recently. You know, we've been releasing American whiskeys for... Yep. Some time, you know, yep. MGP Rise and light whiskeys, and we've done bourbons and everything like that. All of a yep. sudden, people started really taking notice to us, and that's changed things a little bit. Um, but I, I think it's probably safe to say American whiskey moving forward yeah, I think will that checks out. all have to be lottery. Yeah, as much as that's a massive pain, but you mm-hmm. know, so it goes. Um, we both sent out an email at noon and we announced on our Facebook page at noon that the URL mm. was live. Yes. Terrific demand uh, for the allocation that we'd put aside for Single Cast Nation, nation members. Uh, are hearing some feedback from from a few people that the, the emails, I, I don't know if, they're, again, we had this conversation after the wild turkey, but I don't know if, if emails are being slowed down by, by people's own uh, email clients, if they're being slowed down by our outgoing uh, yeah. email so campaign let me, manager. Let me stop you right there. Thank you. Something we found out when we released our wild turkeys, and I don't want to belabor this point, but it speaks to the larger conversation. It speaks to what you were saying, is when we first sent out those emails to people, it was by default set to release the emails to people in batches. I think it was like every five minutes or something. I think we learned that. Right? We learned that and we 
now change all of our emails, the default is now, nope, send them all at once because we want to be able to send them all at once. Now, we have thousands of people on our email list. It's going to take time for, potentially take time for those emails to get out to people. I don't know if it's on our server side. I don't know if it's on their email server side or whatever, but we had a couple people email in and say, oh, wait a second, you know, I just got this email a couple minutes ago and has it already sold out? What's going on here? And this is why I said on Facebook, though I think we need to be better about it in email moving forward, but this is why I said it in Facebook. This is why we've said it in the past on this podcast is do not rely on your email. Email could take it. I've had people send me emails and it's gotten to me two days later because of, a, you know, a glitch in the matrix. What did you just say? Nothing. Just had a little deja vu. What did you see? What happened? A black cat went past us and then another that looked just like it. How much like it? Was it the same cat? Might have been. I'm not sure. Switch. APOC. What is it? A deja vu is usually a glitch in the matrix. It happens when they change something. We always make our Facebook page have the link live at the exact time we mean for it to go live. And we we actually had a, another guy, he, he sent me a Facebook message directly um, where he said, you know, will the product go live on your website? And the answer to that was no. It's, it's we're keeping this hidden, yeah, because we want to ensure that single cast nation members yeah. are gaining access to this, and not just anyone who isn't already a member. You know, get this before they have a chance to. You know, we have thousands of people on our mailing list, yep. and only you know this was a small allocation to single cast nation members. But let's say it's a larger release, like 150 bottles, 200 bottles. If you have four or five thousand people on a mailing list and only 100, 150 bottles to go, we could do our very best to make sure everybody has all of the tools in their arsenal. Yep to ensure they have the best chance possible. But math teaches us that 150 bottles for four to 5,000 people just doesn't work out. But we try to give people the best tools imaginable. However, these emails that we got in, there was just a couple of them where they said, hey, we, we got them a bit late. We're going to change things around a little bit. So I think that this is newsworthy where we want to give people a bit of a heads up, a day or two, something like that, to let them know an email will be coming. And if we have to tweak it even more, we will. But please remember, the fact of the matter is, not everybody is going to get a bottle. I wish it were different, but when it comes to single casks or small batch releases, that's just how things go. And it is unfortunate. And I've been on that end of things way oh, sure. too many times. Oh, just I, like everybody you else. You have, I have, everybody listening to this podcast has. I would hope that many, 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 many of our members have. It's it's the reality of whiskey right now. You know, I, I don't think any of us are particularly patient or understanding when it affects us. No. But the reality is it's going to affect people who 
like our product, like our company, like us, it it's going to affect them. And we apologize in advance for that. Yeah. But again, it's it's the reality. And as Joshua says, if we can give people the best opportunity, then we've, we've done our job, hopefully. Yeah, let, let me let me just say two two last things really quickly, and then then we should move on. I, I want to stress, you know, you talked about, or we had talked about, American whiskeys going on lottery moving forward, but we should really specify there. It's single cask nation American whiskeys going on lottery. This is a whiskey jubilee bottling where we, as much as we can, we try to hold a little bit back for single cast nation members. And that is always first come first served. That's how it's been since 2013, since we've launched the Jubilee bottlings and and that will remain that way. So unfortunately, you know, nowadays more people are going to get disappointed, but you know, that's just how those are going to work. I will mention this. I had one other person comment on her Facebook page and, and it was a very good point. He said, it happened to me again. I was on the shop. I put the bottle into my cart. I went to check out and the bottle was gone. Because by the time he signed in, you know, it sold out. Our website is doing what our website is meant to do. If you compare it to a seat on a plane, if you buy a ticket to go onto a plane, and when you're at the gate, they say they overbooked, that is not a good thing to have. We want to make sure that everybody who wants a seat on the plane can get a seat on the plane, and there's a chance that you may not get a seat on the plane. However, again, we get back to, to giving you the tools to do that. So that is what our website is going to do to ensure that the inventory that we have is the inventory that we sell and that we don't oversell it, which is an even worse problem to have. Agreed 100%. Right? Yeah. I, I don't like upsetting one person, but if we're upsetting a dozen people, two dozen people, then then the problem just, it, it's... But even at that point, we're refunding people for a bottle that we physically do not have yeah, and exactly. are incapable of shipping to them. Yeah. Imagine how yeah. that looks for bait and switch. Oh, I, I got my bottle. I paid for my bottle. And now you're telling me that you don't have a bottle for yes. me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always sorry when somebody has it leave their cart. Yeah. But, I, but it really is a much worse problem if people can buy bottles that we physically are unable and incapable yeah, yeah, of shipping. Yeah, exactly. In terms of giving people more opportunity, we are single cask nation. We have made our name on the back of single casks of whiskey. Mm-hmm. We have traditionally gone with ex-bourbon barrels, ex-hoggies, the occasional barrique. Um, for single cask nation online... We've never gone as far as a full sherry, but since it would bring us to about 600 bottles. Good point, yeah. But as we mentioned in our last episode, we knew Glen Farkless was going to be a hot commodity. Yes. We were able to secure two hoggies that we were able to combine that we think are fantastically delicious. And we will be bringing almost 600 bottles of that Glen Farkless to the yeah. United States. Yeah. Yeah. We will be releasing the Glen Farkless September 13. 
which if you are listening to this episode, yes. the second it went live, that is tomorrow. If you are listening to it at some other time, I'm going to play it safe and say launched, launching September 13. Mm-hmm. It will be limited to two per member. Two per person, yep. It will sell out quickly. We will have more Glenn Farkless. This, this exact batch of Glenn Farkless, the second half will be released early next year. Yeah, so I, I imagine that those bottles are going to go fairly quickly. Um, you know, it is two casks married together, 59.5% alcohol. And for an independently bottled Glen Farkless with the Glen Farkless name on it, in yep. collaboration with Glen Farkless, yep. at $110 a bottle, uh, $10 flat rate shipping, I think that that is, it's, it's a winner. And I think like our Port Charlotte, Sherried Port Charlotte, those who love heavy sherry are going to fall in love with this one. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Enough about whiskey for a second. I wanted to bring your attention, Jason, because I know you, sir, are never on Facebook, which drives me mad. So here's, here's why I'm not on Facebook. It drives me mad. So it's either your mental health or my mental health, and I choose mine. Hmm. Okay. Well, the good thing is I enjoy Facebook enough for the two of us. That's an understatement. <laughs> and these days, I've been loving our Single Cast Nation Facebook page like you wouldn't believe. Uh, the amount of participation that we've seen in the past year now has been amazing. I mean, there, there was a period of time when it was just you and me posting. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we would get people commenting. But now it seems to be a place where people are hanging out and asking questions and posting fun pictures. And are, you remember when we first started this company and we wanted it, we wanted to create this virtual community of whiskey lovers. Absolutely. I was that, there. Yeah. Right. That, were you there? I was that there. Is, <laughs> I have the t-shirt. <laughs> I heard the same about the uh, inception of both your children. Oh, oh, not sure where that um, came from. that's what i said when they were born (laughs) but just yesterday uh or last night i guess at this point um or last tuesday by the time this goes live or a month ago depending when somebody listens to it nation member and and i'm i apologize because i think i'm gonna slaughter his name philippe fanavong okay Okay, so doesn't, Philippe, doesn't sound right, but all right. Philippe or Felipe, I I apologize that I slaughtered your name. Maybe it's even um, just Philip. Maybe the E's silent. No, has the? You think so? I, I'm just hypothesizing. There's two L's and two P's. Yep. I think it's a Philippe or a Felipe. If only you could have reached out to him before we announced it on the podcast. Nah, <laughs> it wouldn't be us if we did. Wouldn't be us. That would that would give us work to do. So, uh, <laughs> Phil, Philippe uh, posted. This picture on Facebook yesterday, which I thought was fantastic. He had taken a bottle of our new 10-year-old Croft and Gaia to Yosemite. Oh, the, the retail? Yeah, the retail. Oh, sweet. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're on Facebook, you'd see this stuff. Uh, I, I might just have to go there. <laughs> Not going there. <laughs> uh, but he took his bottle to Yosemite and he basically 
took a picture of it on top of his car with El Cap in the background. Nice. And black and white, right? It has this, um, who's that famous photographer? The black Ansel Adams, guy. perhaps? An- Ansel Adams, yeah. I haven't even seen uh, the photo. <laughs> uh, Allah Ansel Adams. Allah. And, not Allah. <laughs> Allah. I just thought you were adding more syllables to Philip, Philip, Philippe's name. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, I loved the picture. And so this is what I'm going to say. Uh-huh. I mean, first off, people need to be on our on our Single Cast Nation I, Facebook agreed. page. Agreed. Wholeheartedly, right? people need to be on our Facebook page. So if you are not a Single Cast Nation member already, please go to singlecastnation.com, open an account. It's free. Uh, you just sign up, name, first name, last name, email address. I think your phone number may have to be in there. And boom, you have an account. And then you join the Single Cast Nation page. And here is what I'm going to, I'm going to put a post. We're going to start a photo challenge. So Philippe had a really good idea. He said, anyone want to start an adventure series of SCN photos? So we want to see people posting pictures of single cast nation bottles in really fun, adventure places. Now, face the, the, the internet being the internet, I can imagine all of the cynical pictures coming. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on Yoni Miller because Yoni Miller oh, yeah, has a, a has a tendency to take photographs that were innocently presented about Jason and yeah. turn them into internet memes. Yes, yes. So, so his mind when it comes to an SCN bottle adventure photo. Yeah. Hmm. We Uh shall see, Mr. Miller. We shall see. So I will put up a post, and I'm going to ask people to continue to do that, to to take fun pictures, adventure pictures with our bottles there, and maybe even Instagram them. I'll come up with a a hashtag, maybe hashtag um, SCN Adventure. I like that. You like that? I like that. Okay, and there will be a prize for the. Now, this will be completely subjective. So, we will have a panel of people selecting what the best one is. It won't be just me and Jason. I just want to pause you for one second. Yeah. We've described this podcast as an industry podcast. Yeah. We are currently hashing out this idea while we record our podcast. And our listeners can listen to us hashing out this idea. It shows you how the industry works. It's, it's sometimes it's just like, let's it's a conversation go conversation that turns into something. Let's think aloud. And I'll, and I'll do Instagram. Yeah, that's a good idea. Do Instagram. What do you think of the hashtag SCN adventure? I like that. That might work. <laughs> so, so this is, this is what people will have to do. Take a fun adventure picture with a safe a safe, yes. Safe, because safe. Yeah. No. people are no. going to people. People are going to people. And we I can't be safe. having that. So, yeah. be, so no, safe, be safe, you yep. numpty. Don't put it in the mouth of a grizzly bear. Don't take it hanging off a bridge. Be safe. As we say in Scotland, don't be a numpty. Be so safe. I'm hoping to see a picture with a condom on the, on the neck of the bottle. That'd be safe. Glad you don't get an entry. Fuck off. So, <laughs> so I'll let people on Facebook and and email, I guess, know. Uh, but you you will want to 
make sure you tag at Singlecast Nation uh, on your Instagram posts and hashtag SCN Adventure. And we will look over that over the next few weeks. And the winner will get a Singlecast Nation shirt. And I think we've got work shirts at this point, right? We do have work. So let's let's do this. Yeah. (laughs) Since we're hashing out this idea while recording a podcast, (laughs) let's do a work shirt and a malt whiskey yearbook to 2018 for the winner. Yeah. And then let's do... Malt Whiskey Yearbook and a Single Cast Nation or Jewish Whiskey Company t-shirt for each of the second and third places. Okay, so we're going to have a gold, silver, and bronze. Yeah, here. yeah. I've seen it in photography competitions where they'll say, here's the winner, and then they'll have a couple of recommendeds. So, so that's what we'll do. We'll have a winner and a couple of recommendeds. Okay, yeah, perfect. Oh, I love this idea. Yeah, that's pretty decent, so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Big thanks to uh, <laughs> Philippe. Yeah, fantastic. That, that's, uh, just to reiterate what you said, Joshua, yeah. we 100% dreamed of having a community yes. like the one yes, 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 you yes. described to me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one that you don't pay attention to now. <laughs> the community yeah, that I'm one. not a member of is exactly <laughs> what we always dreamed of having. But I, I got you. You, you, do, you do the work of two Jasons. You Everybody got me, knows babe. That. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Okay, so, so that is our news. That was good. We, yeah. We didn't even know we had a third one until we got here. Boom. Yeah, lovely. Um, did, was there an email that you wanted to get to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, it's interesting. Here's something interesting. I love this. This is continuity, my friend. We got an email from the same person, from I, Philippe. I knew the name was familiar. Yeah. So, a uh, question from Philippe. He says, hi, gents. And then in parent, he says, safely inv- avoiding the J and J controversy. <laughs> we, we sound like such divas, but I, I love that people are playing <laughs> along with it. So, thanks for that, Philippe. Uh, he says, I love the podcast. Thank you Thank very you. much. The deep dives and interviews you're getting from the distillery visits are my favorite parts. I've learned a ton from them. Thank that's you. The that's the goal. Yeah, that's... that's uh, that is very nice to hear. And he's got a question for us. He says, when you select a cask from a distillery, do you own the entire barrel or just the whiskey in it? I remember you sent an empty wild turkey barrel to Mexico. Was that a special thing or can you do things like that uh, with any of your casks? Also, I'm wondering if you can move a full barrel somewhere else, like taking Westland whiskey uh, like taking a Westland whiskey cask and to age in Kentucky or Virginia. Yeah, those are those are two parts of of one good question. There, the the simple answer to the first one is absolutely we can move empty casks around if we so desire. We we've done the X Rye that went and held beer before we put whiskey in it, American light whiskey for. The Whiskey Jubilee Chicago, uh-huh. 2015. We, we have a, a rye cask going down to mature some cigars. <laughs> there you go. A little uh, bit in, little more news there. <laughs> uh, we did have the wild turkey go to Oaxaca for the Fidencio Mezcal. Yep. Um, have we... Uh, we, uh, the first, others? a little bit. So the first Aaron cask we've ever done. Oh yes. Uh, the Ex-Pino Noir, yep, right? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, we had them refill that cask with some of their heavily peated spirit. And that is five years old now. Yeah, that was good. 2013. 
yep, good, good juice maturing away in there as well. Um, I, I think the thing I would say to Philippe is if we have distinct plans, we can put them into action. Yeah. For the most part, we're selecting so many casts in so many different places. We don't always have a have a new plan for them, and we just let True. them either get folded back into the distillery's needs um, or the bottler's needs. It, it, <laughs> Quite often, these casks don't even do that. They'll go to gardening centers yep. who will then cut them in half, and they become planters. Yep. Um some of these casts have been sent off to, you know, woodworkers who have made furniture out of this stuff. So it's, you know, the casks can go on to lead many different lives. And when and where we can, we will repurpose them to mature extra stuff or, you know, whatever. The second part of the answer, yeah, uh, I think is, is a little more careful. Uh, and I would say when you and I select casks, from distilleries uh, through that collaboration we're talking with them about what can we present that isn't part of your regular story what can we do here that'll be interesting and unique for our members okay. but will still relate to yeah. the distillery story as you like to see it told we don't want to pull something from a distillery and then do something completely weird or wacky with it that distances itself yeah. from the distiller distillery sure. right we yep. still often will talk about distillery house style and how our selection differs from that but when i hear things like take a full cask of westland and additionally mature it in kentucky honestly i don't think that's our business I think that But it is doable. hundred percent doable. Yeah. But yeah. but it would be it would be on Westland as a distillery with the Westland name to say we are going to mature some of our stock in Kentucky. Now, if Jason and Joshua come along and we have a, an opportunity to taste it yeah. and, and we like it and we have an opportunity to bottle it, absolutely I would stick that in a bottle and tell the full story. But it's definitely in my mind, and you, you might even disagree with me here, Joshua, but it's definitely to my mind the provenance of the distillery to decide how wacky they're going to be on moving their casks around America or around the world. Right. And, and, and the fact of the matter is when, you know, let's take the example of Westland, whose climate I wouldn't say mirrors, but it's pretty damn close to the climate of Scotland. Yeah, right? kissing cousins, definitely right? portions kissing of cousins. the year where the kissing cousins. Right, and you take that whiskey from that cooler, damper climate and move it to Kentucky, where you've got the heat and the potential for really high rickhouses. It's going to change the character of the whiskey overall. Now, having said that, others have done it. And I think have done it successfully. And Amra is the first uh, company to come to mind where they, you know, they they took some of their whiskey and they matured it. I want to say in Germany, you know, they they, they moved it around to mature it somewhere else. Uh, Isle of Aaron actually sent some casks to Israel for the Israeli Whiskey Society, and they 
that society bottled those casks after a couple of years. Yeah. The, and the, the whiskeys were tremendously different. The Jefferson's Ocean release that went out on boats and rolled around? Yeah, exactly. Now, it's, you know, I, I have not tasted those personally, but I would imagine time on the ocean would would do something. Back to your point, I think that's because we really, really like to partner with distilleries to ensure that we're showing the distilleries in the best light, not just from our opinion, but from theirs, we will be, we're going to follow their lead on something like that. However, the question was, can you move 100%. a full cask? And, and, and the answer is, Yes, you can. There's paperwork that goes along with it uh, from the TTB, but it's it's doable. However, you could not import a full cask of whiskey from Scotland to America. Actually, you can. But what you cannot do is call it scotch. You could bottle it and you can call it single malt whiskey. You may even be able to call it single malt whiskey from Scotland, but you cannot call it scotch. Think of, for in, for instance, there's a French outfit. I want to say his name is Michael Cuvier or, Cuvier or something like that. And he's got this squarish bottle. It's a tall bottle, but it's square, and his label goes over the corners. And he was importing scotch whiskey, heavily sherried, that he would mature the casks in French caves. And up until October 2013, he was able to call it Scotch whiskey. He can no longer call it Scotch whiskey, but it's still single malt whiskey from Scotland that he's extra maturing in France in cask. He just can't call it Scotch. But I thought you had to divide it. I thought you could bring in an empty cask. I thought you could bring maybe in an he's, IBC maybe he's, of liquid. But maybe you cannot, that's what's happening. But you I, cannot I bring know. in a full barrel of whiskey. Could be. Could be. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but could be. Um, listen, I have one more question that I think we really need to get into yeah, before go we go it. to misconceptions. Go for it. And this is from uh, Tim, Tim Mushaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, his name? yeah, Michelle? Maryland fella. Yep, yeah. did a did a tasting for one of his groups. Uh, yep. Yeah, great guy, great group. Yeah, fun night. Says good morning, gentlemen. On your recent episode with Catoctin Creek, season two, episode twelve. Thank you. A, a comment was made that one can distill whiskey based on the intended bottling age, and since they are planning to bottle only after a few years, they distill differently to account for that. I was under the impression that distilling was distilling was distilling, (laughs) and the main variables were the shape of your still, the recipe, and the cuts. Could you discuss other variables that might go into distillation, might go into a distillation session that would impact the final product? For example, if you plan to bottle sooner rather than later, or drawing out different flavors um, in the final product from a single base mash recipe. Thanks for a great podcast. Tim Musha, Silver Springs, Maryland. I have the perfect... Can I say something? In a a moment. I just want to clarify where that small m misconception might have come in. Because Tim is actually right. That, you know, I always use the example of someone like Lefroy. I used to believe that 
Lafroig in their in their distilling would say, okay, we're doing a run of the ten year old, and that's what we're laying down. Okay, now we're gonna do ten year old that will be left at cast strength. Let's run that. Okay, mm-hmm. now this week we're gonna be doing the Lafroig fifteen year old. Let's distill that and lay that down. And so, given that that was a misconception um, for for a couple of decades now. I've spent time saying to people, nope, when Lefroy distills, they just simply distill. They just run it. And yeah. Numic spirit goes into wood. Some of it remains on Isla. Some of it goes to the mainland of Scotland. It matures, it matures, it matures. They go through, they select casks that will be used for the 10-year-old, that will be used for the 15 or the 18, you know, whatever they've got going on at the moment. Right? That That's that's how, that's their business. And, and these big distilleries... That's how they're doing business. Yeah. When you then come to someone like Catoctin Creek, I think Becky was making the point, we asked the question, what does a small distiller do differently? Hmm. And so for Becky and for Scott, when people are saying to them, hmm, this is great now, but I'd love this as an eight-year-old or, oh, I'd love this as a 12-year-old, their response to that is, well, actually, we designed it to be consumed as a younger whiskey. We're not just doing our full run, sticking it in wood, and then years from now seeing where it's at. Yeah. So the smaller producer has more flexibility there. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, Becky even said it. They have uh, a specific product. What was it? Their, their, not the Rumble, their... Uh, Rabble Rouser? Yeah, the Rabble Rouser, which was distilled specifically to be a little older to get to a slightly older age. Now, when you have, and, and there's there's a clear distinction here, when you have an American producer who is using a column still, or maybe it's a combination pot column still, they have the ability to tweak the plates within the column to distill for different purposes, right? Things are a bit different in Scotland. In Scotland, you've got copper pot stills typically with no plates in there and distilling tends to be distilling now i'm going to give you two examples and and, and now granted just like with everything just like with i before e except after c there are always uh exceptions to the rule do you do you know with that one there's actually more exceptions than there are rule followers i know i know isn't that crazy yep so carry on uh it's a good rhyme though it's brilliant caught on real well (laughs) when kilhoman was built and and here's another distillery who had the help of dr jim swan right thank you glad you brought this up i was going to try and get kilhoman in here at some point so well done they are purposely distilling spirit for the sole purpose of maturing whiskey that can be drunk at a young age and Anthony Wills even says himself, I'm not sure how this is going to be when it gets older. I know it's really good now. In fact, I'm not even certain it's going to be great at 15, 20 years old. I don't have confidence in that. I have confidence that it's good now. That being said, I've tried some of their 12-year-old stuff, and it's only getting better. That's crazy. Um, yeah, which so so that's interesting, right? You've got a distillery that's distilling for the purposes, just like Catoctin Creek, of releasing a whiskey that is drinkable 
at a young age, not just drinkable, but is incredibly complex and mature at a young age. Now, conversely, you take a distillery like Mortlach, who they even go the extra step of refining their spirit. They're 2.87 times distilled. There's a whole to do is how they do that process. But their spirit in the end is so heavy and so sulfury. It's only a drinkable, I'm sure it's drinkable young, but it really hits its stride after 12 to 15 years. Like Mortlock needs to rest in cask. It needs to rely on the cask to take that sulfur and convert it into something else that becomes a good tasting note to that overall experience. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a really sulfury thing. So you have two different Scotch dis- Scotch whiskey distilleries that distilling is distilling is distilling, and they're they're producing two different kinds of products. However, and here's where I before E except after C comes into play. Let's take the example of Kalila, right? They're using 35 ppm barley. They've got big stills and they fill the stills really low to make sure that the stills are working hard, that while it's distilling, there's a lot of reflux, which is forcing those stills to purify, purify, purify the whiskey so that the final spirit is lighter, it's fruitier. Yes, it's heavily peated, but you wouldn't know it because of the distillation process. Now, they can change it up if they wanted to. All they had to do was fill the fill the stills higher, mm-hmm. right? Or take their cuts differently. Uh, but they have a specific thing that they do. So you can adjust if you wanted to. But I think the smaller U.S. producers that have column stills where there are plates in place, they have a bit more flexibility and being small and probably being family owned, they can do whatever the heck they want, really. Well, look what we said earlier about Penderen. Second, pl- uh, seventh plate on the second still, right? Exactly. Right. There's, yeah. there's, there's so many places to be specific. Mm. But there are also plenty of places where you can mix it up if you want. You can experiment. Sure. You can go crazy. Yeah. And depending on your size, depending on your demand, depending on how old your distillery is, Maybe you get to play around with that a little bit more. Yeah, you know? but, but but think about those who may not want to. Like there's a reason why Mortlock is what Mortlock is. And it isn't because they always want Mortlock to taste like Mortlock because they have a single malt to support. They really don't. I mean, they have a newer one, which, you know, I, I think I'm not the only one to say this. It's, 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 it's not for everyone because not everyone can afford it. But the, the whole reason why Mortluck is in existence is to Bruce produce single malt for Diageo for their various blends. So they're not going to play around with and have fun with their spirit as much as a smaller producer would because they need that consistency of flavor to ensure that Johnny Walker, black, red, green, whatever, always tastes like Johnny Walker. Yep. Um, you know, so that's, again, it's, can they? Yes. Would they? Likely not. 
And that's where a smaller producer would come into play. And I like what Catactin Creek does. We're making this spirit for younger stuff. We're making this spirit for older stuff. That's kind of cool. Yep, I know, 100%. But I think it's also getting in through the doors of a distillery, asking those questions, getting those answers. Yeah. And, and hopefully with a podcast like ours, maybe we can bring some of those answers to yeah. the, the listeners. So, yeah. so, yeah, great, great questions from Philippe and from Tim. Uh, hopefully we did them justice in answering them. If anyone else has a question, comment, uh, you can email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You could uh, go onto our Facebook page, go to your Facebook app, go into the search bar, look for One Nation Under Whiskey. You'll find our group. You can pose questions there. You can tweet at us, at One Nation Whiskey. You can Instagram us, at One Nation Under Whiskey. And, you know, we get a lot of, we have a lot more questions that need to be answered. And, and we will eventually get to them. But um, know that we're reading every question. We'll try to get to them as much as we can. With that said... Oh, I think we shall turn the floor back over to our Pindaren boys mm-hmm. for the misconception segment of the podcast. Okay, they hit a home run with this one. <laughs> I, I think you're right, <laughs> and and yeah. I think the the physical description that comes from John here oh. is just so perfectly stated. I, I didn't need a visual on it. He described it so well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so here they are. I think people are maybe to a degree suspicious. They think, well, what is this? This, is, this, isn't, this isn't, you know, what whales were, you know, distilling. Were. Surely it's just Scotland and Ireland. And, and, and I think that you, the key thing is to get people nosing it and tasting it. Mm. And there's a certain face, which obviously won't work in a podcast, but it's kind of a, they, they, people drink it and they kind of stare into the middle distance for a few seconds and yeah. then they start slowly nodding. Yes. And that's, <laughs> I, I, we did a, yeah. a, a tasting in the whiskey shop in uh, Sutter Street in San Francisco yesterday. And I would say three quarters of the people did that face. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not a good, it's not a thing that works on uh, on podcasts, but yeah, it's a, it's a certain kind of acknowledgement of, a surprise, you know, yes. because people are going to be surprised. Sure. If you haven't tasted Welsh whiskey before, you, you know, you're not going to know what it is. And, uh, you know, lots of other countries bigger than Wales, you know, Belgium, Sweden, produce whiskies. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, it, it kind of works. And it's very much, you know, it's, you know, you know, you can't convert the world one person at a time, but it is a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we met the whole crew of Impex Bev yesterday and, uh, you know, just the love in the room and the fact that everybody is kind of so enthusiastic and and people I think are quite excited about going to their distributors and and saying taste this mm. just mm-hmm. taste just just try it yeah exactly so yeah I suppose the biggest mis- misconception is c- can we do it and I think we're answering that with with increased sales and with increased interest and Good. and Good. by Good. winning winning awards I mean every one of the whiskies that's available on the Impex Bev uh, list has won a major award this year you know we are we're quite as I said we're a secret Celtic nation we, we, we don't shout about our achievements but maybe within a couple of years we'll be shouting you know because it's um, it's it's certainly we, you know it, it's certainly happening before we close out the podcast I really uh, I, I want to thank Rob and, and John again very it, much so uh, I wish you were able to come out and enjoy time with them but uh, whatever M- more Rob and John for me 
yeah, I'll I'll have to track <laughs> them down at one of the distilleries that they have in Wales. Yeah, uh, but it was a pleasure spending time with them. You know, work aside, just hanging out, drinking beers, and drinking whiskey, and, and talking with them. It, it was it was a treat. Super nice guys. So really appreciate the time because I tell you, Impex being Impex, we pack a tight schedule. And for them to carve out the the 30, 40 minutes or so that I had with them to record the interview, it, it's it's a lot to ask for. So I, I do appreciate it. Yeah, indeed. 100%. Did you have anything you wanted to mention before we just say goodbye to our members? I don't. It's been another lovely podcast. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy it in the company of our listeners. And having a chance to present Penderin and a, and a chance to represent Wales. Uh, really means a lot and and I'm really really glad we had a chance to do that and I guarantee you we will revisit them in the future and oh, we will yes. follow up on what's yes. happening with distilleries in Wales uh, under their guidance and I'm sure at some point we'll talk to the Welsh producers who have nothing to do with Penderin. I think revisiting their distillery is uh, well within our vision right does that yeah. make sense? Did I say that right? Sure. Let's get out of here. we got got two hours of recording here. Uh, And I thank you too, Joshua. Yes. For A, conducting the interview, and B, for being uh, my partner in crime, as always. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, you know what I want to... I want to let people know really quickly. You, sir are off to Seattle next week to take a look at some uh, potential new venues for our Seattle Jubilee. I will be there as this podcast goes live. And I, when this podcast comes live, will be just getting back from my time at Maltstock. This will be my second time at Maltstock in the Netherlands. And I guarantee the listeners here, while I was out there, um, I'm sure to bring all of my recording equipment to get some good interviews. I've got some lined up and I'm there's I'm looking forward to the people that I'll be speaking with. Super duper. And then just a couple of weeks after this episode, uh, you and I will be in both Italy for social reasons and Scotland for more business reasons. And we will have our recording equipment in Scotland with us also. Oh, man, oh, man, Shevitz. Yeah, there's plenty coming down the pipeline for the end of the year. And by the end of the year, I mean the last three months of the year. (laughs) (laughs) So let's call it a day. Let these good people go about their day. And uh, you go have lunch with your mother. And please say hello to Mama Hatton for me. I will do. Cheers, Joshua. And cheers, listeners. Cheers, big ears. Died in New York in 1953 and was a major sort of cult figure in America. Much, he's much more famous in America than he was in the UK. And of course, Bob Dylan named himself after after him. And uh, he died in St Vincent Hospital. Yeah. And St Vincent, the band they they named uh, they named the band after the hospital Dylan died in. And wow. he died in the Chelsea. Well, he didn't die in the Chelsea Hotel, but he 
he became seriously ill in the Chelsea Hotel. And in his footsteps, people like, you know, Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan and Patti Smith all went to the Chelsea Hotel because of Dylan Thomas. He's had a major cultural impact on America. He's the reason why the Chelsea Hotel became the Chelsea Hotel? Holy shit. Yeah. That's and he died, yeah. He died of a morphine overdose, age thirty-nine. You know, he was a, he was like it's like an early rock and roll death. Yeah. I, I did a bit of research. I thought, who's the, who? This is slightly off the subject. No, that's fine. Yeah. The only, the, the 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 only white rock and roll death before um, uh, Dylan Thomas was was uh, Hank Williams. He died earlier that year. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you see rock and roll death like hedonism, bad lifestyle. You know, rock. You know, the rock and roll living. People think Dylan Thomas died of alcohol, but he actually died of a, a morphine overdose. Wow. Yeah. And that, that was wow. kind of suppressed. It was kind of medical uh, cover-up. But you know, so Now that it's on this story. podcast, the whole world's going to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're good. The elephants are in the house. <laughs> All ten of them. Elephants in the room. Ten pink elephants. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> okay. Oh, you made tea. I didn't make tea. Oh, well. I did tell you over text. I know, and I, I forget about it. And then I'm also in the very, very last of my second pot. So, all right. Yeah, you'd have loved it. Uh, it was a f- fifth, and no, it was a fourth and fifth steep this morning. A fourth and fifth steep. Yeah, Tikwan Yin. Yeah, almost gets better the more times you steep it. How's that even possible? Yeah, you you can get because because it unfurls. It's a really really tight little tea. Oh, okay. And then as you steep it, it unfurls. So I think you're probably getting other portions of the tea leaf. So usually the ones that are those tiny little balls, at least for the ones that that I've had, um, they've been quite vegetal. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. it? Yeah, it's a vegetal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tea. Yeah, it's Iron Goddess of Compassion, which I think you drink. Do you not? I have had an Iron Goddess, but uh, it was just Iron Goddess. It's from India. Where is your? Oh from? no 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 yeah. no no China China. But yeah, I've. Well, I think I, it's not, the Iron Goddess strain just from India. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure I would go beyond a sixth steep on it, but I did read that you can you can steep tea Kuan Yin up to ten, eleven times. Wow. Yeah. And. Do the flavors, does it stay intense? Does it get more delicate? Well, I, I don't tend to steep it intense anyway. I start at three minutes yeah. of steep. Same here. Okay. Um, so it doesn't really start out intense. But, yeah, there's a, there's a stronger vegetal, and the vegetal gets softer as you, as you uh, steep it a bit more. I also then increase by a minute each time. Yeah, same here. And so I'm up at, like, five minutes. I haven't gone as far as six minutes. That's just... Well, I do three for a first steep, five for a second. Ah, I, I throw my four in there, and if I go for a third steep, I'll do five. And do you wash the tea leaves with hot water first? Do you just give them a quick rinse and then do the water with three? Nope, I do a hundred and, what am I, what's my kettle set, a hundred and ninety? So I'm not, I'm not blasting them with crazy hot. That's still hot for green tea. Um, no, I, I do my white tea down at 170. Green for 190 seems pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why we're recording an Easter egg. We already have one. Uh, the boys, um, 